Welcome back to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. I'm Lawrence Coletti. I'm recording live, live from ABA Tech Show 2023 in Chicago, Illinois. It's been a wonderful show so far, and I've got an amazing panel. One person who I've been working with for years just met yesterday, IRL, right? You say IRL, in real life. That's right. Met you finally, Matthew, in real life. But uh, let's go around the table here. Everybody introduce themselves. Uh, let's start with Kristen. Oh, hi. I'm Kristen Roberts. I'm the founder and managing attorney of Trestle Law APC, located in San Diego, California. We're a full-service intellectual property law firm specializing in litigation, dispute resolution, and NFTs, um, protection, registration, all that good stuff. You can tell that Kristen has spent a lot of time in elevators talking to people. <laughs> all right, Matthew. Only a few. Very, very tight, very tight. Well, first of all, it's, I'm so happy to be here. Like over the last 10 years, I think I've listened to hundreds of these on the roads and to finally be on one is, is super exciting. Uh, my name is Matthew Kerbis. I'm the subscription attorney. So uh, my subscriptions start only at $20 a month at subscriptionattorney.com. And I also have a podcast for lawyers called Law Subscribed. And so I'm like, I'm super thrilled. I learned everything I know from Legal Talk Network. You guys are the best. That is awesome. That is like three plugs in 30 seconds. All right, Diane, can you keep up with that? Hello, everyone. I'm Diane Lillijohn. I am um, an IP attorney as well, I, but I'm currently as in my role as the executive director of the Tech Center at NCCU School of Law in Durham, North Carolina. Excellent, excellent. All right, so we're going to be talking about the metaverse today. And so I believe the official title of your presentation was The Fourth Dimension, Law in the Metaverse. And so Obviously, I think a lot of people out there, if you're following uh, stocks and everything, they know the metaverse is something that uh, Mark Zuckerberg came up with. And they might know that it's virtual environment, but this is really kind of a ubiquitous term for a much larger digital world with digital assets and digital trading. So can somebody give us just kind of a general flyby definition? And for those at home- Matthew's that got his definition ready to go. And we're going to get meta with you, Lawrence, Ooh. because yeah. ChatGPT gave us this definition. Oh my goodness. Which I think very largely as a panel, we agree, we, we agree on for the most part. And so uh, so here, and before I read a quick clarification is Mark Zuckerberg co-opted the term he metaverse. Did. Right, he did. Co-opted, so it wasn't did. his. No, no, no. no. So, uh, Do you uh, hold him in disdain for that? Or oh, like, no, no, okay. no, absolutely not. No, I think his version, I guess, is confusing people about what the metaverse is. And it, I don't think people are understanding when he came out with his version, like, what is, what, what, why do we need it? I don't think there was a good explanation of why we need this. And it really goes yeah. well into the definition. So here it is, ChatGPT's version. The metaverse is a collective virtual shared space created by the convergence of the physical and digital worlds. Convergence is a key word there. It is a virtual world that is built on the foundation of the internet, where users can interact with each other and with virtual objects and environments in real time. The metaverse is often described as a future version of the internet, where online experiences are more immersive and interactive, and where people can connect with each other and with digital content in a more seamless and natural way. It is a concept that has been explored in science fiction for many years and is now becoming a reality with the development of virtual and augmented reality technologies. All right, thank you, Chad. It no punches with that definition. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's pre actually pretty good. And I, I would say uh, one thing I would add to it is it's like a place where, you know, digital, like digital creations have real value. I mean, you got real relationships being developed in there and you have, uh, you know, assets out there that people value in real life. And so let's talk about some of the legal issues that accompany that. And I'm embarrassed that it took me so long to think of all the different aspects of this. But uh, when we start with uh, intellectual property, there's a lot of issues there. We can talk about some of the other issues that come up in this, this new world that uh, people find themselves in. Yeah, and we're actually seeing um, a lot of these cases unfolding currently right now. Um, you might have heard 
that Meta Birkin and Birkin Hermes are in a lawsuit right now over their digital representation. Meta Birkin put out these Birkin bag digital representation NFT tokens. Matthew can get into the definitions of NFTs later, non-fungible tokens. We kind of know what a non-fungible token is for the most part. Um, I like to kind of use a um, vending machine as an example, right? So you sort of want the thing out of the vending machine, so you punch in the code and then you get the thing out. You can kind of think of an NFT in similar respects in that regard. Um, it's a very dumbed down version of actually how it functions, uh, but it's a one of one, right? You can't exchange it for something else like you can with a piece of cryptocurrency. Uh, overall, we're seeing a lot of uh, issues roll out with respect to intellectual property, copyright being the main one. Uh, there's a lot of art that is uh, involved with these NFT projects. And a lot of people are wondering, well, how can we use this art in different ways? When we buy the NFT, does it mean we can use the art however we want it? Do we own the intellectual property rights? Do we own the copyright? And it really depends on what kind of license you get as a result. Uh, we're seeing a lot of litigation happening um, around trademarks because people will mistakenly believe that if there is a CCO license being used or a Creative Commons, Creative Commons Zero license that's being used, that that means they can just take any part of the intellectual property and it's free for, free for all, they can make money off of it. And that's not necessarily the case because uh, CCO involves copyright. It doesn't pertain to trademark and patent. So we're getting a lot of these cases that are rolling out. Um, StockX, uh, Nike versus StockX is a big one. Um, and then there's uh, the Three Lao case that came out about copyright infringement with respect to uh, music royalties. Well, let's talk about the people out there that don't know what an NFT is. And I have to admit, I, I didn't fully understand. I did a little uh, searching for um, for this episode, but a non-fungible token. It's not just artwork that people no. find cute. This like little emoji that somebody made in some obscure country somewhere else that somebody really wants and all of a sudden become a ton of money. But it's a lot of things. It can represent a lot of things, but essentially it comes down to ownership. And so, Matthew, can you give us a good definition? Maybe some examples yeah. to kind of drive the point home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and the the art example that you gave is uh, sort of where it it, um, it started to um, take off in like the common and uh, in, in for like everyday people. So an NFT is a unique hash on a blockchain. So uh, that means that it cannot be exchanged for anything else. But like a cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin or ETH, you could exchange ETH for ETH, crypto or Bitcoin for Bitcoin, like you can a dollar for a dollar. It's fungible. But like that unique family heirloom that you have at home that was your great-great-grandmother's is a one of one. Well, an NFT is that on the blockchain. And so what we what we started to do is we started to associate that. And there are ways you could do this with layers on blockchains, with smart contracts. I, that gets too technical for me, but you're able to associate that NFT with either a, a digital thing or a real world physical thing. And there is also a common misconception that when you transfer or, or sell or buy an NFT that you also get the IP rights, but that doesn't automatically transfer. So you also have to, like lawyers, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> you, know, you still need the, the licensing agreements. You still need um, uh, the purchase agreements and the assignment agreements, right? So, so you still need that to transfer an NFT as well, or to transfer the IP for an NFT. Well, I think of it like uh, buying land. You got to buy the mineral rights too if you want to dig down and start uh, mining gold, right? So very good. Well, okay. one of the really exciting things about NFTs isn't so much the art that goes with it, the thing that represents the NFT. It's the, like you mentioned, the ownership implications. So one of the biggest issues that we have right now in a Web2 space, which is what we're sort of in, we're sort of bridging the gap now, but we're, we've been existing in this Web2 space, um, which is basically where it's read-write web, right? So read-write basically means that these websites exist and you can contribute to the website. So if you're going to a social media network and you're putting your content up on that 
social media platform, you technically own it, but they could take it down tomorrow. They control it. It's, it's theirs for all intents and purposes. What NFTs will allow you to do is actually um, better control the access to that content that you're creating. It can act as the key to the content that you're creating on a Web3 platform. That's what's really exciting. Web3 is more the read, write, execute. So you're sort of not only just putting it up there on somebody else's, you're actually controlling it. You can pack it up and take it with you if you decide it's not working for you anymore. Let's get some examples because uh, it sounds like uh, it, this is my rudimentary understanding NFT status. Like when you have, when you own an NFT, you've gone through a process. You're saying that whatever this digital asset is, it's mine. Can you guys give me some examples of like things that are getting this NFT status? So I hear music can be, you have an NFT for music, you have NFT, obviously we just talked about for an image or a tweet even, but uh, what are some other examples of how you're seeing it used out there? Artwork certainly is an example. The people are, artists are essentially creating spaces that they wouldn't have had. Uh, NFTs are giving them a space essentially they wouldn't have had before to sell their, their work, especially artists, creators of color, are able to essentially kind of sell their art to, to in spaces they weren't they didn't have access to previously. So an NFT essentially helps them to build wealth that way. Um, so that's certainly artwork is, is certainly a big space, especially for artists that are, artists that are smaller or creators of color as well. And Seth Green's uh, situation is also a legal one, mm -hmm. which uh, which is worth mentioning. So Seth Green uh, bought a, it was a bored ape, right? Yes. I think it was a bored ape. So yes. uh, mm -hmm. a bored ape was a series of NFTs kind of like inspired by uh, crypto kitties. And, um, and so each ape is unique and there's artwork associated with that and an NFT associated with that, but it's just digital art. And, and what Bored Apes did is they also sold very intentionally intellectual, the intellectual property rights to that Bored Ape along with that NFT. And so what happened to Seth Green is Seth Green was somehow hacked or he was duped and like he, he inadvertently transferred or somebody transferred uh, without his knowledge that NFT, but he never actually sold it, right? But, but because of the way that the IP rights were attached to that NFT, the bona fide purchaser, right, who actually bought it from the like thief. That. Thanks for bringing in the BFP. Right? Hey, hey, you know, legal talk network, we got to keep it legal. They didn't know that it was stolen. So what they ended up doing is, is for, for an unknown amount, Seth Green paid him to get back his NFT which is unfortunate because we don't have a lot of mechanisms to handle dispute resolution in the metaverse. And that's part of what our talk was about. Now, where, where do you go to get that status? Like, here's my non-fungible token. And here's something I like online that's a digital asset. I want to turn it into something that's recognized universally as mine. Second part of the question, who enforces this? You know, obviously we have the, uh, the PTO enforces uh, patents and trademarks and things like that. So who enforces uh, these uh, non-fungible tokens? It depends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you, that's Matthew. The lawyer, that's the yeah. lawyer answer. Mm -hmm. That's the lawyer answer. So does anyone want to talk about minting or do, should I talk about minting? Well, you're like wearing the, uh, NFT. Well, well, so you what can... you can't see on, on uh, right now, if you're listening at home, is that Matthew is wearing some uh, virtual reality goggles. So I'm going to go ahead and nominate you for answering that question. <laughs> okay. So because you asked, the, the, for your first question was, how are they made? So NFT started with the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, and so they, uh, un unlike uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, which I, although I've, I've read some things recently with like new layers and potentially they're doing NFTs on that blockchain as well. Well, they've already shifted to layer two. So. Okay, so so then, so we'll, we'll, with, with Ethereum, that's where NFT started. So you, you can mint these uh, unique caches. And that was caches. because of the smart contract. Right, so when you mint an NFT is when you're, uh, is what it's called when you're creating that unique hash. And so there are also other blockchains like uh, Solana and some other ones where, where people are going in and they're able to mint it. And you can usually do that through like a platform. So like OpenSea is an example of this. And so if you want to upload your artwork, they, they will facilitate that process for you. And so there are, um, there are like apps and places you could go to do this. 
if you're able to do it on your own, which is again kind of outside my expertise, then then that's you're going to be able to hold on to that NFT and protect it more. But if you're using these third-party platforms, they're the custodians. So you have to be sort of careful with where you're minting the NFTs, where you're holding them, because I think the custodian issue came into play with how Seth Green lost his NFT. Most NFTs, in my experience at least, in being a buyer of NFTs, there's usually a process by which you get selected to mint an NFT, especially if it's in the first minting. So for example, normally you're following the Discord server. So the Discord server will let you know when it's open for when when a project's going to drop. When that happens, you can sign up to get what's known as whitelisted. I don't necessarily like that name because it has other implications that I don't um, subscribe to. However, uh, that's typically what it's called in this industry. So you become whitelisted for a project and they let you know when that NFT drops and then you have an ability to uh, go and mint from their proprietary Web3 enabled site. So you'll log, you'll basically connect your wallet to that site and then it will allow you to mint however many you get of that NFT when it first launches or when it first goes, when it first gets minted. So you'll get the first iteration often known as a Gen 0 or a Gen 1 depending on however they're, they're doing it. So you'll then be able to mint however many you get in that minting. Uh, you can then mint from there and then it will get added to your wallet, your MetaMask. I, I use MetaMask, so it would be added to my MetaMask. Then at that point in time, it would also get um, shown on a site like OpenSea. Mm. So it would show that you own that NFT because your uh, unique profile is attached to that NFT at that time because you can watch all the transactions. So you can actually go to like um, Etherscan to verify that it's actually done the right way. And you can actually make sure there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to do it because like Matthew said, you have to protect yourself because to answer your question, nobody protects you. Mm-hmm. You protect you. And that is the unique nature of blockchain and Web3 is that it is a, it's peer-to-peer. It's not, there's no middleman. Yeah, it's decentralized. And that's what people want. Right. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it requires that you hold the keys to your own destiny, which a lot of people want. But then when they get it, they think, oh shoot, now I'm in charge of my own destiny and there's nobody to help me. So there is a gap right now between you know regular everyday users who don't necessarily want to learn how to go here, how to verify this, how to make sure this is right, how to make sure this is legit, just to mint an NFT. All right, I, I have two follow-up questions there, but you inspired one more question. So uh, here's my other, my other two questions. So uh, just to close that last point out, uh, you've already registered with uh, one service, so maybe one blockchain service. Do you have to continue to do that for other blockchain services or just one time? Well, you have to connect your wallet to the different ones. Okay. So maybe, uh, Chris, Kristen, you're using a wallet more than I am. So maybe you want to talk, like, explain what a wallet is? Yeah. So there's different kinds of wallets. There's hot wallets and cold wallets. Hot wallets are basically ones that exist <laughs> online. So you can... <laughs> I know. It's... Uh, and it gets it gets even more complicated too, right? So you can have, so a ledger, that's going to be your kind of cold wallet. Most of the time you'll say, if you're referring to like a physical ledger, that'll be a cold wallet, cold storage. So if, for example, there are certain things that I want to keep that I don't want trade, that I don't plan on trading a lot, or I don't want people to necessarily look at all the time or could potentially steal from me, your cold storage is going to be your best place to keep that. Uh, your hot wallet is going to be for sort of like everyday trades. And I actually have a couple of different hot wallets, some that I move things off of right away and some things that I do sort of like high risk trades with. It just sort of depends. But my, I'm really sorry in advance to my tax attorney, if you're listening, because she really <laughs> oh, doesn't Lord. like us. Because yeah. <laughs> as an attorney, you're being ethical and disclosing everything. I disclose which, everything that we, yeah. that we make. So 
All right, all right. So yeah. a quick follow up on that. So uh, just like when you go down and, and you uh, you know trace a title when you buy some real estate, you buy sure. a house, and and so the the courthouse records that you have mm-hmm. down there, that store of all the the series of titles have been passed along. That is recognized by the law as the go to place. Like this is how we this is how we dispute or how we deal with disputes in ownership of this property. And so we give it legal emphasis. So mm-hmm. whoever uh, registers our title first, depending on the state and the rules, things like that, we go here. This is that source of information. Who gave that authority to these international, like, blockchain, not consortium well, interna- It's not. They're not international. It's not like the blockchain is owned by right. anybody. There's not one, like, owner of the blockchain. I guess the question is, is like, uh, if, if you're going to enforce it, say, hey, according to the blockchain, I'm the first owner of this. I minted this NFT. Who gives the that particular blockchain that authority? It's like, oh, that's right. So we 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 settle this dispute by who was first. The blockchain the, the itself network. does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the network. It's it's, it's uh, self-authenticating. Right. Okay. You mentioned, you know, we do title a certain way, but title can be fabricated all the t- right. True, all the time. There are issues with title all the time. So this is actually more immutable than a t- than the, the typical title system, and why a lot of people are excited about blockchain because they actually think that this could be a new way of dealing with title. I because, cannot wait as a real estate attorney. Right, uh, yeah, I cannot wait till cannot, NFTs are the are the new deed. Uh, so there's a difference between, I want to make sure that we, we all understand that there's a difference between tampering with the actual blockchain itself and scamming somebody out of a transaction. Mm-hmm. So scams can happen, right? That can happen. But you cannot tamper with the actual transaction on the blockchain itself in terms of like inventing it. Because if you were to do that, it could, it would invalidate the blockchain. You would need incredible compute power, which just like doesn't actually exist according to the laws of physics. Now we're getting in the weeds, <laughs> Diane. So uh, last question for y'all. Uh, so I just, uh, to close it out and inspire my question uh, just a few minutes ago, if a lawyer wants to get in this space and they have no idea how to do it, then I just learned a bunch of things on this podcast uh, after doing a little bit of research. Where do they get started? What's a, what's a good set of resources to get started on this? Certainly immerse yourself in space. Uh, we were talking about in our last session, uh, Google Alerts, a Law 360 is a resource. Read, um, go listen to podcasts. Coindesk. All, there, you know, those are the kind of the, the best way to kind of get into it. All right. We're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time. And I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the road today. So uh, thank you to Krista. Thank you to Matthew. Thank you to Diane. And if you all want to leave some contact information, there's some people that need some help, obviously, in this space. Maybe they want to uh, get educated, Diane, in this space. How can they reach you? Let's start with uh, Kristen. They can reach me at my firm. Uh, we have hello, H-E-L-L-O, at trestlelaw.com, T-R-E-S-T-L-E-L-A-W.com. All right, Matthew. Lawinthemetaverse.com and, and sign up for the forthcoming newsletter where I'm, I'm going to be aggregating everything I'm reading about the metaverse and put it there for readers. All right, Ed, Diane. Certainly email me at my school address. That's D-L-I-T-T-L 23 at nccu.edu. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. And also, thank you listeners for tuning in. And uh, if you're at ABA Tech Show here in Chicago, Illinois, come by our booth. We're at uh, 735. Come say hello. If you're not here, do us a solid. Uh, Go ahead. Please subscribe. Follow us. Helps us us in the ratings. And uh, better yet, leave us a uh, review in your favorite podcasting app. And so until next time, I'm Lawrence Scaletti. You've been listening to On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh